In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one woman and one man will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Emily Jones and Eric Johnson star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen, or, you know, read as well. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on iTunes. And this week, we're finishing A Tale of Two Cities. So really, if it's your first time listening, you should probably go back to, I guess, two episodes ago where we started A Tale of Two Cities. Or if you just want to jump ahead to the exciting conclusion, then this is your episode. Um, In any case, when we left off, Charles Darnay had just received a letter from France begging him to return to his native country to help a man who was unfairly imprisoned in the growing chaos of the revolution. He snuck away in secret, only telling his beloved wife and father-in-law by way of a letter he left behind. But neither he nor I knows what awaits him in France. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. I mean, there's some turmoil happening, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of to be expected by everyone except for Charles Darnay that turmoil awaits. Well, and the <laughs> thing is, we know we know how tumultuous it got in a way that he doesn't. Because yeah. it, hasn't, it hasn't yet happened yet in his world. The, so. There was some stuff with, like, uh, giant falling blades on people's heads. What? And, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert for history. <laughs> yeah. In case That's you're unclear well. on things that happened in the 18th century. Yeah. Lots they, of people died yeah. in this one. If, if, you, if you don't know your history, then this will be, like, a total nail-biter. It's just like, you know... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, still, what? <laughs> it, it's not a spoiler to tell you, I think, that it's still rather a nail-biter. Um, yeah. Even though, even knowing... And, in fact, perhaps because you know some right. of the things that happened historically. Dramatic irony or whatever that's called, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'm going to go read this in some extended time. Yes, and then so we'll be back after the break to talk about it. Enjoy the book. Now, first of all, you may be wondering what this weird music is. Uh, I was wondering that. What is this weird music, Emily? <laughs> well, usually, usually, you know, we play music from whatever movie or TV show it is that we're watching. Um, obviously, A Tale of Two Cities doesn't really have theme music, except, oh, wait, it does. Because the French Revolution kind of has theme music, which is La Carmagnole. Uh, and when you read this third part of the book, you will be introduced to what that is, the dance that they do around it, why it's pretty terrifying if, you know, you're caught up on the wrong side of the revolution. I don't want to say too much. <laughs> Charles Dickens was able to write all these damn words, but he couldn't bother to compose a single soundtrack. I mean, come on, what a I know. lazy asshole. Right? I know, we have to rely on, on actual historical events and music for a soundtrack it's pretty Ugh, it's pretty bad but anyway uh you will probably understand this song a little bit better and also the rest of this podcast episode if you read the rest of a tale of two cities we are going to spoil the shit out of it read the it. whole thing everything uh now i understand we're not we don't we're not going to hold it against you if last episode you weren't fully caught up when you listened because it's a long cheaters book. 
hey, let's be nice. We gave them a lot of reading. Uh, but uh, no, but seriously, um, a lot of things happen. They're momentous and crazy, as you might expect from the French Revolution. We are yep. going to spoil them. Don't let us ruin your experience. Finish the book. It's not just historical events. Important character stuff happens. So. Character stuff, you guys. Character stuff. Okay. Can, can you tell I'm not a literary critic? <laughs> but we're going to pretend to be. Anyway, enjoy the rest of the book. Oh, and uh, we should say where they can be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just assuming you already own the book, but if you were cheating last time and haven't read it at all, uh, you can get a free ebook because it's in the public domain. Uh, Go to Project Gutenberg to do that. You can also buy a fancy, real, physical copy of it. You mean at, like, like a flea market? Or where would you acquire a physical Believe it or not, there are these places that are called bookstores, and they're stores where you can buy books. Huh. There are internet ones, too. You can also order one online. Okay, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to leave your house. It's okay. Thank God. The audiobook is good, too. Anyway, whatever you do, go read it. Finish the book. So we just did, over the course of the two episodes, the first episode we did books one and two, we just read book three. Uh, So before we get to what I thought of the thrilling conclusion, Emily. It is thrilling, isn't it? Yes. Um, Uh, So why don't you share a little bit about uh, your thoughts on on this and and why you like it? Okay. Um, Well, I do want to revisit uh, some of the foreshadowing that I wasn't allowed to talk about last time. Yes. Because... uh, Some of that I understand much better Because (laughs) Because I didn't want to spoil it for you, but because it's a new episode, I get to say a new thing that I like about it. Yes. Um, One of the things of the many that I love to death about this book is the way that he balances, if that's the word I'm looking for... um, how horrible how justified the revolution was and how horrible it was right and he and he sort of sums it up very neatly enough in the final chapter but but you know it's really 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 clear especially in the first two books but he keeps making mention of it and he talks again at the end about how sort of natural the revolution and the reign of terror is considering what was coming before it where what happened before it um, but then he also, you know, is pretty much as, even though it's for a shorter portion of the book, he is pretty much as uh, brutal about the brutality of the reign of terror. And I think it's really good. It's like, it's very, um, I don't know. It's like, o- overall, the whole thing sort of takes takes a strong position against absolutism. Like, right. both of them were bad, and he's not hes not saying that, like, it would have been better if the French Revolution had never happened, and he's not saying that the revolution, that everything that happened in the revolution and during the Reign of Terror was justified, but he's kind of like, they were both really bad, but you can totally see where the one came from. Yeah. So that's actually one of the things that, um, I, I don't know, so, okay, my uninformed completely ignorant understanding before having read this book was that the two cities were london and paris but 
seems a lot more like that was wrong and the two cities were Paris and Paris. Is that the correct reading that I was completely ignorant of? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say I would say that it's both. Okay, so um, it's it's a, it's a double meaning then. Yeah, okay. well, because because I mean, I've never like I've never like researched this. I've actually, believe it or not, have never read this book for a class where we actually like discuss this kind of thing. But yeah, I, I mean, think... neither did I. That's why I never read it. <laughs> but I think, well, I mean, I I think I think you could read it pretty well as both. Because I mean, okay. when you think about the way the first, um, it, it there is a lot of it that has to do with with the travel back and forth between London and Paris. I mean, that's one of the things that initially draws suspicion on Charles Darnay in when he's tried for treason in England is like how much he's traveling back and forth. And, um, and and and, he's traveling back and forth in order to attend to his family obligations, even though he plans to renounce it at that time. Well, and his, well, his family, his family obligation that he's, he's trying to find Madame Defarge. I mean, he's trying to find the, it's not just like a, it's not like family obligations writ large. It's this very specific promise he made to his mother that he was right. going to try to make this thing right. So, so I think that's fair. And I think also um, that uh, he's also making somewhat of a comparison between pre-revolutionary Paris and his Dickens, Dickens present day uh, London. Okay. Um, when you think about think about so many of the themes in in okay so what does what does dickensian mean i mean like what does it call uh, up it calls up character names that are very silly no 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 no, no, no. not in a, not in a literature <laughs> way if you describe something in the world as dickensian and it, you're not talking about christmas caroling outfits right uh then i guess kind of oppressed um, street urchins Right, starving, Oliver Twist. Starving, Please, filthy sir, can I have some more dirty, grimy, dark? Yeah, yeah. And he, and it's, it's really, really, really spread out. But like in the very beginning, he makes um, some sort of sarcastic comments about like none of us could ever imagine anything being this terrible and bad because it's so far removed from the way our world is. And then in that last chapter at the end, where he brings it back together, he says mm-hmm. like. He basically says, like, we do well to remember that right. the the horror of the reign of terror was a natural result of the horror that came before it. Yeah. So so I think it's fair to read it as London and Paris. And I think it's also fair to read it as Paris and Paris, the Paris of the first two books and the Paris of the third right. under the two different regimes. It's definitely not fair to read it as a useful way of writing lazy headlines and leads to stories literally anytime there are two of anything involved (laughs) which is part of the reason that you probably think of it as like right oh it's just as two different things at the same time or or, yeah um well also so the other thing so the the last line of the book the far far better thing I had yes. heard that before. I had no ideas from this book. Really? Yeah. That that that, that was just like I got to that. I was like, oh, that's where that's from. Okay. <laughs> that has also, and it's going to take us a long time to get back to it because yeah. because we have a couple episodes already lined up that come after this one. We've already recorded my geek episode that follows this one. Yes, we have. And okay. I already know what my next one after that one is going to be because it arises out of 
that movie. But then the next one, <laughs> I have decided based on this because there's a very brief reference to that line in something else that's on the list. Okay. I, I know it from The Simpsons, I think. I, I'm pretty sure I, I... Well, and it's also, I think it's pretty, it's, it's like as, as wide, almost as widespread in our just like cultural landscape as like it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Yeah. Um, anyway, so let's talk a little bit about the foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. So before we do that, uh, obviously, I, I really like this Yay! as I did the first two parts. Uh, this, this, was, this was great. Um, I do kind of I, – I, de- I can definitely see myself not in the immediate future but in the in sometime in the future rereading this. And I think I will – even though I enjoyed it now, I think I would definitely appreciate it more on second readings just because of – the way the plot kind of twists around and then sometimes jumps forward in time by, you know, five or 10 years. Um, and, and just the way it's all structured. So let's well, talk you, a little bit about you can that. Also, you can also kind of get why so much of the rereading that I've done of this book has been, I get to the end and I'm like, oh my God, that was amazing. Wait, <laughs> who is that person? Where did that piece of evidence come yeah. from? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. And like, I, I, at this point, I'm at a point where I've read it enough times where like, I pretty, I you know, know I know the answers. <laughs> But, like, that's initially why I kept reading it so many times was because I would get to the end and I would be like, oh, wait a second. I'm going to need to go back and reference. I think especially, like, when when Barsad and Roger Cly sort of come back up, it's like, wait, who right. the what that now? Was just like, the spy? Yeah. yeah. I, I had to backtrack so much because I was like, oh, Barsad, what? <laughs> okay. You know? So for foreshadowing, we'll start with the foreshadowing that I wanted to point out to you before because i thought that you would have already figured out what it was foreshadowing and you hadn't yet yeah which is stuff about jerry cruncher so again this is best i can gather but he's an organ harvester is that his job he's a grave robber a grave robber So so he makes he makes all those references to to doctors when he's like trying to justify himself to mr laurie and maybe some of what he does maybe there are doctors involved i don't know i mean they're never really clear about it but i think he's i think he's just trying to be like hey like there are people you consider respectable who do this too you know there are there are doctors who you who you do business with at telson's who are totally out like harvesting bodies for cadavers to do research on okay and like how is that any worse than the fact that i rob the, their graves Right, so so, that, so I, I think of grave robbing as like taking valuables off of the body, but but no, organ harvesting is really what he's doing. He's taking stuff out I mean, of the body. I don't. I assumed he was taking valuables. I've always well, so, but no. But the 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 thing that made it click was in that the scene where he reveals, you know, uh, where he's talking with with Laurie, and he's talking about how many bodies, uh, including headless bodies, are, are now abundant in Paris, and so he's saying like it's like devalued. Um, what he's looking for. He says something to that effect. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Well, in any case, he he yes. digs up he digs up graves, which, which is is yeah. extremely <laughs> important to the plot because he knows that that guy Roger Cly is not mm-hmm. Ned. So, in any case, he is he is robbing graves of bodies and or valuables. Right. Which becomes very important to the plot, but also way 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 back in chapter 2 of book really? one. Oh shit. When he goes and he takes the message to um Mr. Laurie in the in the carriage when he's taking the mail in the on the stormy night. Yeah. 
Um, and Mr. Laurie doesn't want any papers related to the whole thing on his person at all. Um, and so he just gives him the message recalled to life. Right. Remember that? Yes. Um, and Jerry is like, he's keeps being like, that's a weird message. That's a strange thing to say. That's what, you know, okay. That chapter ends the set, that second chapter recalled. This is Jerry talking to himself. Okay. Recalled to life, that's a blazing strange message. Much of that wouldn't do for you, Jerry. I say, Jerry, you'd be in a blazing bad way if recalling to life was come into fashion, Jerry. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> By that point in my reading, I was paying no attention whatsoever to characters' names. I had no idea that Jerry was in the second chapter until you just said that. <laughs> I know. I know. And... I I didn't notice that line for a long time. Possibly it might have even been this this particular reread when I first noticed that line. But like that's what that's that's the kind of thing that I say though when I mean like you know there's the super obvious foreshadowing that we talked about last time. You right. know about the the revolution coming. The yeah. woodsman fate has already set aside the timber that will make the right the right right. <laughs> um, but. There's also that foreshadowing, and it's everywhere. Right. I mean, from from the last time, from rereading the first portion um, for the the previous episode, um, my my book is like is just ridiculously dog-eared with <laughs> with so many times that I already knowing what was going to happen to all of these people was like, oh my god, that! Oh my god, that! Oh my yeah. god, that! Like, yeah. So that's so. kind of that, that's really good to hear because I mean. It's so rewarding to go back and right. see all well, that When stuff. a book is rewarding to, 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 to have that stuff, to, to go back and see that, or, or read that, rather. Um, so, I, I guess, is that something that um, is true for a lot of Dickens stuff, or would you say that's pretty specific to, to this? I mean, I, th- I think you've read, like, a bunch more of his novels, right? I have, um, and I have not reread them. Okay, so um, maybe so maybe I, not. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Okay, but but I'm gonna assume. Yes, I'm gonna. I, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me mm. because so much of his writing, like so so many of his novels, involve these kind of like a little bit, or maybe even more than a little bit, absurd, like. <laughs> global vast global coincidences yeah like I, that that monsieur defarge the devoted houseboy servant of the doctor would mm-hmm. happen to marry the sister of the woman that he was t- i mean so and much man is it really lucky that charles Dornay looked a lot like C- uh, sydney Carton. <laughs> so so much of i mean it literally saves his life twice there's so much of that kind of like global coincidence conspiracy craziness in so many of his novels um, that I wouldn't be surprised if you went back and reread them multiple times if you found similar instances sure. of those things. I have not done that with mm-hmm. them, so okay. I have not noticed. Yeah, um, I've never felt I've never felt inclined to reread Great Expectations because it's boring as hell. Okay, I, I haven't read it once, and I'm not going to do Don't. it now. <laughs> Um, yeah, I had to read David Copperfield in high school and it was like a summer reading thing where like it was assigned 
And that's like I, I don't know. Summer summer reading was was always felt like even worse than normal homework because it was it was work at a time when I when I didn't want to or wasn't like regularly working. It was irregular. <laughs> So that, that that was a bad match, and then uh, and then I read Christmas Carol, uh, I guess twice, like once probably middle school, once again in high school. Yeah, um, I mean a Christmas Carol is just kind of like cute though. Yeah, exactly. It's not really. I um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't even know why it was assigned other than to like you know here's a short Dickens novel. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the yeah. only one of those. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so um, what do you think of Sydney Carton now? I, I, I that's that's another one where I was I yes. was reserving commentary <laughs> last time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I was pretty down on Sydney Carton in in the last uh, last two books. Uh, a lot better now. He's a lot more competent and interesting in this book than he than he was previously. Maybe it's one of those things where if I go back and I read the chapters about him and like you know talking about uh, talking with the um his his, his uh the the other barrister or whatever in that chapter maybe the driver. Striver, right. Maybe there'll be more character things that jump out of that that, that I'll appreciate more now. Um, but yeah, there are, there are little. The thing is, when you already know where he ends up, there again, there are, there are moments, there are flashes of like, especially. I think I don't think I dog-eared it, so it would take me forever to find it. But the um, that first that first time when when the story follows him like from Striver's office to his own apartment and he right. goes to sleep. There's, there's like a very quick passing mention about like that implies sort of the, the glimmer of, of there being more there that implies, you know, that there's, that there's more to him that he regrets that he is yeah. the way he is kind of thing. And I also think the thing you the thing that you, um, the thing that you complained about last time was that they really that he really really beats it to death the idea that he's like so irredeemable and so beyond well and so depressed and just so sort of yeah. like yeah well and I think I mean I agree it feels like a little bit over the top but I think that part of the reason for that is to make it um, to make it that to, much sweeter to later really, on to really drive home like how how surprising and unlikely a turnaround it is mm-hmm. and also i think to drive home um both both carton sydney's personal sense and the sense of like dickens and the world at large and you as the reader that like his life is definitely most worth most worthwhile when it is ended kind of like like yeah. that he's you're you, there's no there's no like tragedy in in him laying down well I'm not going to say that. I think there is. I <laughs> right. think there is. But I think I think that part of the reason that that Dickens has belabored his Carton's like extreme degenerate irredeemability, even though he ends up being redeemable, is <laughs> is this kind of idea. Especially that 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 there's a sense, you know, for Carton that like the only way his life has any value is this as this kind of payment for Darnay's life. It's it's sort of gain inside the points where it's really belaboring that point is gain inside his head, how he thinks about himself and his own self-worth. And so therefore that that's a character. That's a, that's a fact of the character that affects his willingness to sacrifice himself. And the, the, the book's climax then is that kind of, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he he really he really sees his life as as completely valueless. Valueless. Okay. okay. I'm, main, I'm more okay with it now. And the main thing that he values is Lucy Manette and her happiness. 
and she is not so much into valuing him. <laughs> so well, she does. She names a kid after him once he's dead. That's true. Um, yeah, that's kind of. Uh, at first, I was really, really confused because I, I uh, thought when I was talking about oh, the child that, that bore his name or whatever, I was like, wait, no, her child's name is Lucy. And then I was like, oh, okay. Was one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, it took me. It took me a it was second. A little, yeah, because yeah, there's a little future moment there. Yeah, and then, I mean, anyway, there, there's supposed- all sorts of. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm supposed to be letting you say things. Oh. Um, well, I put me in a spot like that. I So I did really enjoy the whole book, and I do appreciate the, the fact that, you know, this was the, the, the big conclusion and everything. But I don't think that the, I don't know, maybe my expectations of how, like, ridiculous things would get were, were uh, a bit dr- maybe overly dramatic compared to, or just the fact that I did, n- I do have some awareness of the reign of terror and all that there weren't quite as many like surprises i guess as i was expecting based on uh your your enthusiasm for for for, for the third book um <laughs> so like the fact that um the fact that darnay and carton look so much alike i knew that was going to come back in some fashion i did i didn't predict exactly how but i knew that was going to somehow be important because they like that had that had been you know mentioned so prominently and and that when it happened in the first or i guess the the second book that i remember that sticking out it's a serious chekhov's mirror if you will yeah um but but no so like that was kind of one thing is i kind of felt like the uh third book at at times was still a little bit i mean just the dickens style it felt a little bit too wordy and without much value out of that i guess like um yeah that does happen you know, like, but at the same time, his his flowery style is, I think, part of, but the good and the bad, you know, like, I don't know, because the, the, the passages that I really like, I really like that style. So therefore, I can't really call that too much of a, like, I can't really criticize all that strongly just because when he's, like, really on a tear and describing something in this vivid, you know, and really great way, then it's like, I'm glad he writes this way. But then when it, when he's just like, you know, I don't know, like like you were saying in, in the last episode when he's talking about how, how nice, you know, Lucy is or, or whatever, how, how oh, gentle-hearted. Oh, talking about how nice one is is boring. But no, I, yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, the language is one of the things I enjoy that I mm-hmm. enjoy like for the sake of it. Um, but, but I also, I also will see that point. I mean, he's way wordy. He's way too wordy sometimes. Yeah. It happens. And I, I can only, I feel so sorry for the people who were following this, like when it was being serialized, like with all the cliffhangers and stuff of just like, you know, and here's this letter from Dr. Manette and its contents were as follows end of chapter and it's just like that must have been the 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 biggest like kick in the ass for those people it's it's like it's like who shot jr just over (laughs) and over again in another another thing that i know from the simpsons but i don't haven't actually seen the source material but yeah neither have i who who of our generation has gone back and watched watched dallas Dallas, yeah i know (laughs) um but uh yeah so i guess that was that was one thing and then another thing that i was is such a minor quibble but for what for how important a role she played at the end, I felt like I never really had a good sense of who Miss Prost was. Like there was a lot of description of like her her wild appearance and her kind of seemingly kind of you know maybe rougher or or just the way she talked maybe a poor kind of upbringing or something like that. But like 
I w- would not have called that she would play an important role in stopping, you know, uh, Madame Defarge. Like, when that happened, I was just kind of like, what? Oh, okay, I guess there's an action scene now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know. no, I'll I'll agree with you there. She's not, she is not the most well-developed, although mm-hmm. basically the only things that are developed about her are her extreme love for right. Lucy. She's devoted, so yeah, that but that's the, yeah, no, that's kind of all. That's kind of all there is going on. Okay, like, that's so that's the, kind of all he. I wasn't sure if I was missing something because I obviously I was missing a lot of Jerry Cruncher stuff, so I wasn't sure if there was more to her character there that I just kind of like spaced out over. I mean, she would. Pro- she'll probably if if at some point you do go back and reread it. Yeah, she'll probably register with you more. Mm-hmm. Um. And it will, like, therefore sink in more, like, how much she is, like, been very devoted and is, like, fiercely, seriously, very, very protectively, mm-hmm. you know. Looking I... out for Lucy. Yes, thank so, you for yeah. giving me a verb because I was just using a <laughs> whole lot of adverbs and I had nowhere <laughs> to go with them. Um, but, yeah, like, I think I think that's, that's yeah, that stuff will probably get, like, driven home a little more. But, yeah. no, I, I agree, especially – she appears like like once previously in mm. the third book pretty much um right okay yeah it's a, you know and it's like the fact the fact that she's in that kind of climactic final scene um it's like wait wait whoa 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 right. we heard from her for like half a chapter <laughs> in this book you know and then she suddenly yeah no it's it's weird i i give you that like, I kind of would have expected it in that role, like, you know, if, if that had been, you know, Mr. Laurie, like, fighting her off or something like that, it would have been like, okay, here's the guy we started with, and he's he's putting an end to this the symbol of the rain, or, or I don't know. Um, but obviously, he probably well, would have been I mean, too she's... old and would, would have lost that fight, so. Yeah, no, he won. <laughs> he, he saved them. He saved them with his business-likeness. True. Um, she saved them in a more like Harry Potter versus Voldemort like love wins kind of way. Yeah. Love conquers hate sort of situation. And then she gets made deaf just because. <laughs> I mean, gunshot pretty close to her head? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, to to be honest, I wasn't really like taking notes throughout this like I sometimes do when we, when we watch stuff since I was just trying to, you know, make sure Yeah, there I was could... a little bit of a desperate rush to re- to finish this on yeah. both of our parts. Um, so I'm just kind of winging it here, but yeah, no, I haven't thought through this thought, so... Um, Those are fun thoughts. Yes. Um, well, I guess it's a, this is not even... This is not a criticism at all. This is just kind of an observation is... It might even be praise. I'm not sure. Um, the fact that we we get Sidney Carton's thoughts when he... After he switches places and we get him talking to the people and him thinking about, you know, going going to his death. But then after the switch... We never really check back in directly with uh, with Charles Darnay. Like we never get sort of, I mean, we hear we get sort of have the epilogue type thing where it's talking about the future of them. You know that he and Lucy then you know stay together and then they die together and their last earthly bed or whatever. You know, and the, we get we get kind of sort of in the very third person omniscient way of just like okay, here's what happens to them. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally sure if if I would necessarily have liked it better but it felt a little bit sudden the fact that he he gets his freedom and then he's just conveniently or or maybe playing playing 
passed out in one way or another. He he's unconscious. He is he, is, he basically has been drugged. <laughs> okay. So n- knowing that he's a good guy and would by no means let Sidney Carton actually do this for him. I see. Oh, the um, vapor thing. Okay, he was yeah. talking about what vapors that. Okay, yeah, I he was... was having him writing, and he had like a a vial of something that makes you pass out. Okay. Um, chloroform or the or the French like equivalent that. of that. Yeah. yeah. Remember, he stopped it. He stopped it. You probably don't remember this. He stopped at a um, like an apothecary. Or oh, he says no. You, if you what do you know what happens if you mix these two things? Yeah. yeah. And okay. and at the time, well, the thing is, at the time, it's written so that you think himself. he's preparing a poison. It's written so you think he's preparing a poison to take to Darnay in prison. Yeah. Um, so that he can kill himself rather than being killed by the guillotine. Right. Um, but yeah, no, he, he like makes him unconscious and instructs the spy, Barsad, to say that Carton had been taken ill. And so he's he's legitimately unconscious in the carriage. And when he starts to okay. come to, he still thinks he's in his jail cell. And he's like, wait, what do you have? What's going on? They're all worried that he's going to give them away by being like who is he what is he doing in my jail cell right okay um okay yeah, so that was know, something i definitely missed is, but i i got saw the pieces of it i just didn't connect all the dots yeah <laughs> yeah the, no that is that is a good point though about never hearing from charles again it's it's like it's a little weird or or lucy for that matter or you know yeah it's it's a little strange um the one thing i will say the thing i'll say in favor of that is that I have, again, long complained about characters like Lucy Manette, and mm-hmm. to some extent Charles Darnay as well. Yes. Um, as just being, and, and Dick Dickens has a hardcore problem with them, but a lot of other authors do as well. These characters who are who are just beacons of all that is good and generous and right and kind and wonderful. In right, the world. exactly. That's why I'm not sure if it was criticism. Maybe he wouldn't have had anything interesting to say. <laughs> yeah, that's I. And I think I think it would be. I think that their thoughts beyond that that panic in the carriage mm-hmm. that they do convey that he does convey of like you know. Is someone following us? Is someone following us? Um, right. I think I think beyond that sort of immediate panic, like their thoughts would pretty much just be like gratitude and guilt, <laughs> mostly gratitude. Yeah, sprinkled with well, guilt. I guess that's the, yeah. So when we get and the sort of epilogue so thing, we, we know kid, that they like, we know that they held Carton dearly or, or whatever whatever the phrasing is. They remembered him and that they, they were they were grateful to him. We just don't hear it directly from them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, they're kind of boring people. Yeah, well, the, yeah. So that gets at kind of yeah the, the the kind of the overarching thing is we have this this mega historical event and these people who are just sort of symbolic or they're just sort of representative of you know yeah it's great that Charles Darnay got away but you know fifty two people still died that day and hundreds more <laughs> you know so it's it's not it's not like a resolution to the reign of terror at, at all I'm not and that's not a criticism at all I'm not saying that Dickens should have tried to find a way to end it I'm just saying like it, it, this is more of a uh, the this was the the personal story and these were symbolic of you know these were these characters were a window into the events rather than pivotal actors in them very much so yeah very very much so um, and um that's why i said the thing i did before about um the overarching argument of this book feeling like it's against absolutism um because madame defarge is the embodiment of absolutism right 
um, and by extension, the rest of the Reign of Terror. Right. Um, and the the whole thing with the the Manette Darnay that little orbit of people, the central characters of the book, is you know, completely, completely arguing against that because like here, Charles Darnay is this like good, nice, wonderful guy who somehow was a product of, of those horrible rapist uncle and father. Right. Um, and you know, Dr. Manette managed to overcome his imprisonment at the hands of the horrible rapist uncle and father, uh, to like, take Charles Darnay into his family even after he knew who he was and like all of this and so it's like their family has on their own they've kind of transcended like the absolutist hatred that right. is driving the reign of terror um and that is better i think is the point than than like oh let's just kill everyone who was ever a little bit connected to anyone who did anything bad to us at all yeah that's a little bit too far. Just a yeah. tad. <laughs> well, and as again it says in that in that very swift little strange epilogue, yeah. all of the people I mean, Madame Defarge is the first one we see die, but we learn in the epilogue that her husband and all of those nameless characters surrounding them end up getting guillotined themselves, which ha- mm-hmm. did in fact happen to a lot of people. Yes. So So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, not the greatest thing that happened ever. Yeah. <laughs> See, no. Uh, so overall, I'm uh, I enjoyed this, and I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Yay! So, I'm so uh, happy. yeah, good good pick. I, I'm I'm uh, glad we read this. I'm glad we read it too. I'm glad I read it again because I am always happy to read this book again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because. Um, a lot of these are thoughts that I am articulating and fully thinking out for the first time. <laughs> it's something you've thought to yourself in kind of pieces not, before. We're not really, not really fully formed. Yeah. You know, haven't even thought them to myself. They've just always been like an underlying sense of what I like about the book. Right. Because um, I've never really <laughs> talked about it with anyone except to be like, oh my God, this book is so good. <laughs> Why do they make high schoolers read Great Expectations? They should make them read this because there's like adventure and murder and shit. <laughs> adventure and murder and shit yes i mean there's like a teeny tiny little tiny bit of murder and great expectations but it's so deeply buried that like how can you even care <laughs> whereas this full of crazy shit yep <laughs> and on that note uh what will we be discussing next time uh, since since you've revisited this book so many times uh next time we'll, we'll be uh going to something that i have revisited many many times and it's going to be a new thing for us. We're going to be listening to one of my favorite music albums uh, of all time. Interesting. Which is called Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. I've heard of it. Yes, you have. <laughs> it's pretty famous. But you probably haven't listened to most or, or all of it. Not well, most all the way through. Yes. So we'll, we'll be listening to that and talking about it next time. And until then, Emily, where else can we find you online? I am on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. This is Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob signing off. Bye. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.